I'm here with Dowda Leonard on the most ridiculous day, and I'm so excited to get a one-on-one with you right now because I know you've got wisdom, and I just I, I want to hear how you feel right now. It's it's Tuesday. It is 6:52 Central Time. And today was the, the blackout Tuesday day. How do you feel? Um, I feel very excited to, uh, um, perform my civic duties as a citizen of the United States. Um, so I would ask you, do, do you know what it means? Like, what is our like civic duties? Do you, have you thought much about that? I think about, so the last few years for me, I think that I have, uh, sorry, my microphone. I don't know. I don't think I have a good answer for that. I don't think anyone does. I, or, or, or I haven't heard one at least. I have been thinking in a different way over the last few years. And I have been thinking about my impact in a universal sense of how I construct my world around me and how that affects the people that I, that I'm in, that I'm, that I touch and how, and how, far that goes. I have not thought about it much in the context of the country that I live in. The, I, I, have, I have basically been resigned over the last few years, just being straight up like that whatever system we're in the midst of is not functioning. And I don't see if there, if there are productive answers, I don't know what they are. And I don't know how to find them. So I've been kind of on my own path, my own plan of just building something positive. But I have not been, I have not been of the opinion that I have the power to affect things for the United States of America. And I've been admit whether that's, you know, me admitting this or, what but i have i have just felt like it's not even worth thinking about because i don't know what to do well i think like i was talking to my mother and she i asked her you know what do you think the difference is today from when you were 10 years old? Mm. 70. Um, so that would be in 1960 uh, that she essentially uh, 19, yeah. Big, big contrast for that year, that time of America. Uh, yeah. Um, and so essentially um, she was like, oh, sort of the same, except for um, there were fire hoses 
and dogs. They did that on the native Indians recently. So um, essentially, you know, we've been here before. And so she was recounting that, but then she also was just like, you know, a lot of this is uh, because people are not really performing or even knowing their civic duty. Um, it's something that like, there used to be civics classes and those. Oh my God, classes, that word. Um, yeah. Like that was and, a thing and that, that went away. A, and that went away. And, um, it like just, I haven't, I haven't heard of that. I haven't thought of that concept in so long. As you said that I was like, Oh my God, wait, no, I know what that is, but we didn't yeah. have it when I was in high school. Yeah. So neither did I. And so much like you, I went into my adulthood believing that like, oh, like I could just kind of like decide what would be a, what would make me a good upstanding moral citizen. Mm -hmm. And I think like much people like kind of like what um, Trevor Noah was saying uh, recently, which is like people enter into like society's contract. Yeah. Um, And so it's like, I think we ascribe to enter into like these into society's contracts being like, Oh, we're more moral upstanding individuals, but we maybe don't do enough uh, understanding of more like the civic duty aspect of it, which is like kind of keeps things going for the rest of us or like the, you know, the rest of the people. And I think that like therein lies the rub of like, uh, a situation where you're like, oh, what is causing all this crazy chaos and all that stuff? Well, it's it starts there at like basic human rights and and uh, responsibilities, uh, how you treat people and what laws you follow. Um, and so I think that like, if people started looking more into that um, and right. started like you know, taking that with also their good moral, you know, standing that they've developed over the years that they, you know, that makes them uniquely them and combining that with uh, uh, the new, you know, the knowledge of what's possible today in terms of like your civic, you know, uh, role, um, maybe there could be like a lot of change because people I think would, would, would start to um, be a little bit more educated on it because mm-hmm. I, I would believe that like there's a lot of people who aren't especially younger people just because that was take uh, I consider myself a younger person um, or younger than my parents in that like they were around when those type of like classes you know existed um, and maybe they need to be updated whatever you know some of these it's like I think people call it social studies now uh, you know, I don't know if that really, um, yeah, we had social studies, which was just like history. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I think like, and it just depends on where you go to school, like, you know, what you have access to. We didn't to. get any of that though. That was not, you know, we were, so, social studies was none of the stuff. It wasn't what you're referring to right now. You know, we didn't get Angela Davis. Like we got just facts and and stories we got you know h i s tory like we just got the great man theory 
at, over and over again, you know, through all the times we, we didn't, we didn't go into the dualistic thinking. It wasn't like that. It was, this is what happened. My entire foundation is, you know what? I have an amended, <laughs> slightly amended as expected answer to your first question in the context of what you're talking about with social and civics. I, I'm 35 now and I had my first decade of like being in the world sort of end with a few career, like I, 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 I had my first moment of like being influential, of having a voice, having some, some power, being able to, you know, people being able to, to change things. And I figured out when I was in the machine and I was as influential as I felt I could ever, not could ever get, but, but in my way, I just, I, I did not believe that I was going to make, th I was going to affect things in that route. And what I wanted to do, what I decided a few years ago was, was rather than, I wanted to just reset with everything that I knew and with the strength that I had gathered as, as a, as what I felt, you know, the beginning of, of, of real adulthood that I had spent, you know, I had been raised by, by a family who had benefited from all these things that we're ta we've talked about today. And that the current system was not going to work for me to do the things that I wanted to do. I was you know, you, you know what my job was and I wasn't able to lift artists up. I was able to just pick who got the slots and I didn't want to do that. And so I took the last few years to put myself in a position where I didn't know and I still do not know exactly what I want to do for the world, but I wanted to get my shit together. I wanted to get myself right to be able to take whatever those next steps are. So for me, I really see, you know, these things coinciding personally and civically and universally that I needed to take some time out to get myself aligned, which I've done now. But as I'm doing that and reemerging into the world, the world is now so, I mean, it's so much more. So I, it's, it's a whole there's just so much to, <laughs> to understand right now. And that's why I don't feel quite ready yet to make that, whatever that impact is. But I feel that I am now in a position. I don't, I don't think five years ago I was, I would trust myself when put to the question, but now I trust myself more and I don't have all the answers yet, but I think that I'm a person who I'm ready to go into battle now. And I needed to take that time. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, that's a good space to be in. Um, I think that the, the situation that we find ourselves all in um, right now is like this uh, battle for the unknown. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, when, when it's, when it feels like people are out protesting, but they're, 
also being shown as uh, thieves and robbers and uh, people who are like terrorists, essentially. Mm. It, it's like- They're literally being called terrorists. Yeah, so it's like there are, there are then people that can like go, all right, you know what? We're going to have uh, this story people are fighting for and this other story people are fighting for. So no one's like, it's like in this battle for the unknown, people are fighting for totally like nonsensical thinking things. Like it's like, oh, like let's not, um, you know, abuse our citizens, citizens with the police versus, oh, let's not rob and loot stores. Like those are not the, the two things that like right. date each other. It's like one issue is one thing. Another issue is another. It's like, been so difficult the last few days having conversations like that. I don't know if you've been having, the, I don't know if you've been engaging even in these conversations, but I guess I have, because I've, I've been, you, you've seen, like I've been talking and a lot of people respond to me and I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm light skinned. So light skinned people feel that they can either ask me questions or clap back and explaining the difference between looting the stores. Sorry. You refer to yourself as light skinned. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what should I say? White? Should I, I, I was just saying, as opposed to dark skin, yes. light, dark, I don't know. What should I say? That sounds hilarious though. I know, um, but I'm, I'm just uh, using it as like, like people don't know anything about me on the internet, but like they're looking at this, like, you know, not they're like, they're, they're scared to talk to black people, but they're not scared to talk to white people. Well, yeah, that, I think that that is the, in, one of the inherent uh, situations is that people shouldn't be scared to talk to other people. Um, and they are black people. Um, and so, uh, I think that that is a, that's a part of this story that, that, that really could be helpful for black people, which is white people will listen to other white people. So we, it's really important that that starts to happen where white people listen to other white people like, no, we need to make a change. This is, uh, this is this is not in our benefit it's actually yeah. uh, uh eroding society so um by pre by having violence in the streets so let's like like let's actually do you know like let's think about reform and police reform in a positive way and how that like puts the the citizens who are interested in holding up their civic duty, uh, you know, with morality uh, into those positions. Um, I just think that like, uh, we, we sometimes just like lose, lose sight of that power that's there. Uh, that's what got us here in the first place where we had all that change. Mm. And so, we got to double down on that. And I think that there is this, there, there, there is a divide amongst like white people who are like, Oh, like y'all are tripping. This doesn't exist. 
And like, it is going to be other white people that are help convince them. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I was, that's why, that's what I was saying is that I'm loud and I'm not necessarily right ever, but I'm trying and uh, other people come to me because I'm out, you know, I, they, they see me as an accessible person to ask questions to or clap back to or express their, you know, they have pent up anger or something and they'll, they'll send it my way rather than your way because they're not afraid to speak privately to me. But I think, I mean, I, I, this is, I don't know. I'm, I'm just speculating why I get sometimes, you know, I, I get weird messages from, and, and they're all from a certain, you know, <laughs> they all look the what same. Are weird what are the weird messages? Yeah. Uh, I think they, I think that people think that the black people are using this as an opportunity. There's, there's people that, that think that black people are using this as an opportunity to, you know, exploit, to, to get shit, to like, create chaos and to you know like they think the looting is is like self-interest and first of all i think they think that the looting is the point of the they think that like the the protesters slash rioters slash looters slash whatever like that they're all the same and so when i'm like supporting something like that they think that it's all one it's one you know it's one box and that because i'm like supporting these movements that I am that I want like you know mom and pop shops to be raided and and emptied and they think that they they think that that people are out for that reason and I think they also think that everyone who's out is you know on that there's two sides and I don't think that they consider the fact that there's other people with other interests and I, yeah, I, th- I think they're using this looting narrative. It's taking on a ton of power, a ton of attention when it's like this tiny, tiny piece of what we should oh, be talking about. Yeah. But that's like the majority, that's what people point their attention at. And I try and explain to them that I think that that is exactly the tactic of the whatever, you know, there aren't two sides exactly, but there's this movement, whatever it is that like it needs to move forward. And there's the people that want to distract. Twitter has Emma Watson trending right now. I looked an hour ago. It's just, it's diversion. And, and what I try and explain to, to these people who I talk to that, you know, like the looting is not, and, 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 you know, when, when we talk about the looting so much, what happens is curfews and what happens is uh, corralling protesters that might be completely peaceful because it becomes a narrative by which they can quell the, you know, uprising, <laughs> the, the, the violence. And it's just th- these people are playing into it. And it's, it, it, it halts the movement. It halts the progress of the movement. And I think the movement would police itself better than any curfew would. I think that if you let everyone just do their thing, that 
the 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 majority of the people out in the streets are the ones who want who who want to do their civic duty like not by by majority i i like mass majority not like 50% 51% like 90% are the people that want to do their civic duty as you describe and want to organize and want to get the right people into the right positions of influence in in government they're not doing this to go wild in the streets there are the people who are, want to go wild in the streets but i think the people organizing the movement will police that. And when they see someone doing some, some fucked up shit, burning down a storefront that, sh that, you know, is like nothing related to the movement, like they're going to stop that, I think. But I think what happens is now there's this other enemy, this, you know, the, the, the government and the police and the, the, the Donald Trump and all this, and, and we start burning shit to display against that when it wouldn't happen if we weren't giving it airtime or energy and, and anger. Yeah. If the police just didn't corral, if the police just let them do their thing, I don't think any, you know, looting is not going to be a problem. Yeah. I think that like the interesting thing is the police feel that they're separate from the citizens. Yeah, like as if there's two sides. Yeah. And there's not. So like, so like police inherently are just going against the citizens. Um, and the citizens are just like, not like you need to go. It's more like, hey, we just need better like justice. They're, you know, we're missing some justice and we're missing some due process and we're missing some, uh, you know, uh, certain honesty like we're missing some accountability it's just like people are just saying we're missing some things and like being like well, we got to hold y'all more accountable and instead of the police going you know what we're citizens too yeah if if someone is if someone is saying hey we're not doing a, an amazing job we need to look at like how we could do this job better yeah like that's what any, like any tight company does that <laughs> So the issue is that it's not a tight company. And the issue is that when you're criticizing, so the police brutality issue, there's, so today highlights, I think something that is, is at the heart of the problem. Like today, Blackout Tuesday turned into a massive thing, but it, it started with just the music industry. And the music industry has its own problem with black music and its treatment of black creators the uh, you know, United States has a problem with police brutality specifically on black people. We, everyone, we have a huge inequality problem as well. And these things are representative of that. So a huge problem is that what you just described that we can just talk to the police and say, yo, we just, we're missing some things. The issue is that that police, you know, representative doesn't come to the table uh, clean. They come to the table with Donald Trump and all these other interests in the background, and all these things represent. So I, I wrote an email today to to someone close to me. I, I I wrote a lot today, but I was encouraging people in the music industry to make a you know make a 1% pledge just straight up like a reparations style you don't need to call it reparations but just like 
it could be purely positive, but I think that the narrative is not just about the police and it's not just about black music, but it's really about, you know, inequality in general. And Donald Trump is going to quell, he's going to go against any of these causes. It doesn't really matter. It's just, if, if it wins, it's a knock, it's a closer thing against these other kinds of powers. And I think that, I don't know, we could talk about this a little bit if you want, uh, the Blackout Tuesday music industry, that there were no, no one put their money where their mouth is today, as far as I've seen at least. Um, I've seen, you know, $15,000. I've seen streaming proceeds, you know, net proceeds from today donated, but we're talking, you know, like not a lot. Um, no one really made a, a serious pledge. And I think that the right wing or whatever we want to call it looks at today and says, look at these jokers. Look at these people who just wanted to create trending topics on social media. Um, optical, uh, optical activism. I've, I've seen the, the, the phrase. Uh, I don't really, I don't really support any of the jargon around like um, the negation of people doing something like positive, right? Like those women like decided they, that they were going to create something to uh, to shed a light on what was going on in, in, mm -hmm. in like which they knew how, and it kind of turned into a space where people were judging someone making an effort. Um, and I think that that like is just like boring to me. That's the best way I could put it. It's just like, it's so lame. Um, and, and so I can't really support any of that conversation. What I, what I, what I, what I do support is like people right now are figuring out in their own ways to be an ally and some people are going to make some mistakes. Um, I think that what is are, are missing is like a, a, a strong platform that exists that says, here is what like people are, like the people of the United States want. And like, can a, can a, can a candidate fulfill that, right? Like the people, you know, at this point in time, and it starts with this, you know, movement of, 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 of people who are very, passionate about like what's going on in their communities. Um, but essentially uh, we have, you know, we have a moment in time where those people can like go, this is what we want as a, as a, as a country. Um, and normally we're waiting for the platform to be given by a candidate. And I think it's the other way around right now. Right. Uh, it allows the public with their voting power then to, be like, yo, we said we wanted this and you're, and, and we think you're going to deliver and yo, you know, now you're going to be in office. And I think like, um, so I think like things like today are, are baby steps towards that, 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 that groundswell. Um, so I super applaud those women and, and, and I'm bummed about the people who, you know, uh, took the time to, you know, make a mockery of it. Um, and you know, the, the reality is, no, is that I think the women who started today are amazing. I think the other people who didn't listen to them are the ones that I'm criticizing. 
Oh, I mean, that's fine. I'm just giving my perspective. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all for Blackout Tuesday. I thought, you know, I, I got really excited about it three days ago because I was like, oh my God, this is going to ramp up to like, this could be the music industry's moment to lead not just, you know, the music industry, a shift in the music industry, but, but it could be an example for the whole world. And that no one, uh, the, n- none of the big labels or whatever, you know, made a big statement and and it turned into it turned into you know what you just described and no it was amazing incredible work by the organizers it was massive ma- i mean look at what this impacted holy shit like and i'm just like yo look at what these people did grassroots and you what you just posted in solidarity like you're if you have a shit I, I wanted I wanted those companies to to really do more. I, I had Rob, the CEO of Beatport, on last night after they made the announcement that they were donating proceeds, and like you know that was that was nice, but it's like I don't know what happens tomorrow. But I think these grassroots campaigns are wonderful. What did you think of so so our can speaking of candidates, you know? And I don't want to go all political for this whole. I want to talk about different things but like you know biden put a statement out did you see or no i did not do you care Uh, like do you think like him making statements and stuff right now is let's see let me go read his statement real quick i'll pull it up he condemned you know he condemned trump and his response to you know he did a speech. Yeah. BET is trying to get them together. Gotcha. That would be cool. You mean like to Joe Biden do something on BET? With Donald Trump. That's what BET is trying to put together. So Biden and Eric Garcetti condemned Trump's reactions. Not, not even specifically what, were, what his words were today, but just like, I don't know. So you talk about candidates. Like, do you think, you know, where do you, do you think Biden needs to just listen to what, what people come up with as you describe? Or, or do you see him as a leader right now? How do you feel? I, yeah, I think that I think that all candidates are wise, uh, but I do I definitely think that Biden would be wise to really take into account, like as much as possible, what the people are saying that they want. Uh, and I know that's through polling and all. Like it's just like, uh, and and like you can do that online now. Like yeah, I think there's ways for them to really figure out like what are the people wanting. Um, like this is a great app called Zebra. Um, Zebra? Yeah, it's called okay. Zebra. Um, it started by this uh, woman, Tiffany Zong. Um, and it's, it's, it's all about finding out what the Gen Z, you know, uh, wants, you know, uh, in, a, in a cool way. Cool. Uh, and um, 
and doing that so that like the like if you believe that brands and co and, and companies like they're a part of like this you know the society in the sense that like it's where you spend your money it's where you put your time with you know uh whether it's a sports franchise or food you know that that's what we, we do invest in as as humans and um with in that regard if we um if if the brands and these corporations if like if there's a holistic outlook on like who your consumer is and like uh which could be you know a consumer is a citizen right um so if there's a holistic outlook on that then you can really have this interesting like uh synergy that isn't like it's just not out of whack you know like black versus white left versus right mm. like you know what i mean it's like it's like you can have like you're going to always have that push and pull and that toggle and that like tension uh because the, life is is definitely about that um but you, you might not be so out of whack and i think that's where uh you know a candidate today like zebra as i say is like a is like a tight weight like a, a concept of how they do it. And there's other apps like it, but like, I really like the founder of that app. I'll check and, it out. Um, but yeah, like, I think that like, uh, like, man, I mean, on my side, I can, and, and, and I feel like people like, I think in general, like, I'm like, who really wants to be at war home or abroad? Who really wants to be, you know, uh, looked at like like monsters? Like that's you know how our, you know our country's being perceived because you know of how we're treating one another internally. Um, like no, like I for sure don't want that. So like, like what do we have to lose to like listen to the people and what they you know what they want and start hearing people out, um, especially when it's like people who are like uh busily being you know uh taken advantage of the issue that i have found when i've attempted that path is the uh, the people not listening think that they're not being listened to it's it's just it's a cycle like i've gone to uh i was telling this yesterday I was in New Orleans for the Jefferson Davis protests right before Charleston with the Robert E. Lee statue. No one wrote about the Jefferson Davis thing the way that they wrote about Charleston because it, it ramped up, but it was the same thing. And, and I went in the middle of the night. I was there during the day when it was crazy. And then I went in the middle of the night and I talked to these guys that were, you know, these are the neo-Nazis, the white supremacists. And I talked to them. I just like went up, you know, by myself and everyone was like, don't go, don't go. They'll kill you. And like, I had some, you know, I didn't agree with them. I wasn't like swayed, but what I learned was like, this is not, they don't even like know what the other side is saying. And the, and my, you know, my friends who had been protesting all day, who told me what they, what these guys were there for, they had a completely different story, both, you know, politically, uh, emotionally, all of it. So all the things that like our whole narrative that we share, they don't see it. They don't hear it. 
and I'm not talking about politicians. I'm talking about regular people. And they have their own narrative. They have their own problems that they want representation for. And, and those two people don't, don't talk. They don't, they don't know each other. They're not on the same social feeds and they don't, um, they think they're enemies. They think that they're fighting. And, and these guys, you know, one of the things they said, they're like, well, we don't care about black people. We're not like racist. We don't give a shit. Like, they're like, you're Jewish. Like, cool. Like I've never really met a Jew before, but like, okay, like whatever. We just are mad because there's, you know, there's welfare laws that discriminate against us. And the representatives that supposedly represent us really represent people that look like us, but have a different tax bracket. And, and that, that's what they, so that's what they, that was what that protest was about. But the people who I was with told me something entirely different. And they were telling it was about, you know, it was about racism. And to these guys, they were like, we don't give a shit. They were like, they like had black people in their, you know, in their group. And they were like, yeah. you know, they, they were like, we're not here to say that we're like the best, you know, moral, like, you know, that we're like connected to the black community. Like, like we don't really care is the point. Like, we're not here for that. We're here because. They're because, because I had in my life of two sides saying completely different. Cut up. You said what? Like, I didn't hear you said we're here because what? I'm like, uh. That was just an example in my life where I've experienced two sides. You know, I'm just asking you to repeat what you said, like that these people were saying we're here because of what? Like I, they cut oh, off. We were here because of money. They're not here to be anti-black people, anti... Um, they're just here because of welfare laws. That was what they told me. They're getting discriminated against and they're poor. And their, their representatives, supposedly their representatives, are not really their representatives. So we lock them in with this right wing. But, they, but the right wing doesn't represent them. So like, this is just one example. And this is a huge voting body in our country that think that the liberal Democrats discriminate against them. And the, you know, the Republicans don't represent them either. So they're kind of in, in the middle. They're, they're, they're not in the middle. They're just nowhere. And that was why they were protesting. But... All of my friends told me they were, you know, Nazis and they were there because they hate black people and they just, you know, they could be lying. I don't know. But it was, it was just a case of two sides that weren't actually like they were fighting each other and they weren't actually like no one was mad at the other and they didn't realize they're mad at somebody else. So the people looting are the ones that are mad about the money if you want to okay if you want to flash forward yeah i mean i would argue a lot of the people looting are probably those men that i spoke to that day literally yeah that's a great connection and they're not like anti-black lives matter they don't really care about black lives matter like as a movement they just they're they're disenfranchised is what they feel and they're probably seeing riots in the streets and they're like, oh, cool. Okay, let's go get some stuff because we don't have it. That, that is a per that's, a, that's an archetype of a person who's out there right now, I would say. 
Oh, yeah. And they're not against each other. They're against something else. But we're told that they are the enemy. And we spend a lot of energy fighting them. Yeah. So, okay, here's a, here's a, uh, we don't have answers to this, <laughs> but answers that I do know you have, or you think on are mindfulness. And I always look to you as a, in a situation like this, as a super cool head, you always, you always have not necessarily like right now, like no one's going to have all the answers, but you have a measured approach and you've been sharing really nice information and 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 feelings and and with your videos and i wanted to talk about that a little bit because at a time like right now when we do not have the answers you know i'm frustrated i we i'm i'm a lot less frustrated than a lot of other people and we have a lot of anger and a lot of anxiety and you think a lot on how to handle that and I wanted to get into that a little bit um okay um do you have any like particular questions oh I mean you, you've been using your platform to talk about meditation and 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 mindfulness and you know what books to read and stuff like that and not not from an informational aspect but just um I think this is a mental health crisis in a huge way. It's a mental health crisis. And it's also, there's two reasons why this aspect of mindfulness, I think is very important. One, just people need to feel okay. People need to calm themselves and clear headedness. You know, when we are popping off, when we are emotional, it's harder to make decisions. And I wanted to, you are someone who I think does a great job at, not letting these stressful days, at least I don't see it in you, letting these stressful days get to you. And you seem to do an effective job at composing yourself to make the kinds of decisions and communications that, that you're happy with in a time where there's a lot of pressure. And I think that you have practices and I wanted to talk about that a lot, to share that. Like your, your video yesterday where you were sharing about meditation. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I, you know, have mainly used Instagram now as a tool to, I guess, talk about how I'm living. Um, I think um, the interesting thing is like, um, it's only one, I think, element of life, uh, like how you put stuff out on platforms. Mm-hmm. So I'm always, uh, it's always interesting to see, I think when people see other people living a certain way of life, they, feel like they have to live up to something when I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of people feeling like they can like embrace a certain way of life and use it to to their benefit. And like, 
when you're living up to something, it can be like really tough um, and, can, and can create like mental health situations also. So like, I think like in my daily practice, I'm definitely like, I've, I've, I've gotten to a space where I've been like, all right, how do I have a daily practice that, that is of benefit to me? Mm-hmm. Um, around uh, 10 years ago, I um, had this idea to um, like, all right, like what can I do spiritually to, to like change like the outcome of like, what could be a terrible, you know, a, a, a bad situation, what could be tough, what could be challenging. Um, and um, I think because my mother's um, always prodding of me to be like, hey, you know, it's really important that you have your, you know, spiritual practice. Um, and when I realized what she was saying around, like, just, you know, developing the, what works for you, that's what they, that was around 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay. And I just, you know, started utilizing um, different things that I had learned along the way, um, whether it was um, breathing and meditation or um, uh, athletics or martial arts or something like that, or um, diet. Um, you know, uh, like, uh, kind of like reading, like the, you know, things that spark your creativity, um, like stuff like that. I started being like, oh, okay, that's the practice that I want to develop. Um, and, and, and that allows me to like, um, kind of like carve my way through situations. Um, because like, you know, when you, when you have like, essentially it's like, you know, uh, training for a fight or something like that. Um, when you, when you have done so so much preparation, like you're like, you're practicing, you're, you're, you're building, you know, strength in different areas. You are able to like use those things to defend when, when, when like the going gets tough, um, you know, and those are like healthy defense mechanisms uh versus potentially like resort you know pushing yourself to like do things that could be damaging like you know uh abusing drugs and alcohol um because it's the the one thing that like leads to quick pleasure or something like that or the dissolution of pain um and um so um yeah i think at, at a core, I look at it as like, um, I like have titled it after like my dad's uh, business, um, which he, you know, uh, built a like flooring business, like, you know, putting in people's floors in their homes um, uh, in, in like Harlem and Bed-Stuy um, in the 80s and 90s, I guess. So he, had, he called the company Mastercraft. And so like, I took that kind of like name. It was like, oh yeah, like how does someone like master their craft? Um, you know, how does someone go from like a very challenging situation to being able to like 
consistently overcome that situation? Um, well, it's through like mastering a craft. Um, and so um, over time, I kind of put together like, okay, here's like the things that I got to do on a daily basis or um, uh, weekly, whatever, however, you know, however way you can figure out how to program for yourself, but like, you know, reading, writing, um, or like reading, creating, meditate, you know, meditation or breathing, uh, doing service for others, um, being active, like in terms of your body, like movement, um, and, um, uh, just making, uh, noise, like creating, you know, uh, sound, sound vibration. Like those are all things that like people can use to, uh, express themselves. Um, and, and a whole slew of other things to manifest, um, the reality that they want to achieve. Um, what have you done in pandemic regarding creating noise? Um, so far it's been, uh, a little bit of, uh, putting, uh, my voice out into the world with like solutions. Um, and then taking those solutions and workshopping them, uh, with my team, as well as, uh, my friends and family and figuring out ways, uh, that I can invest my time or my money into, um, black or minority owned businesses. Um, uh, as well as investing uh, time into uh, developing uh, citywide civil initiatives, civil and uh, political initiatives that help um, kind of like push forward some of this reform. I've found that just literally, I, like I, I, when you say creating noise, like I'm, I'm thinking of this. I think that people walking out in the streets right now and yelling is very therapeutic. It's, it's, they're not, that's not why they're doing it, but, but we've been inside and not able to express ourselves, not able to use our bodies in the same way for a while. And I think that, so that when you said that, that that's what I thought immediately because yeah, something I've thought of. I, I definitely feel like that's the vibe that people um, have right now. You know, the other night I was really upset about something and like, I wanted to scream. I never really think like that because I tend to be in the world so much. And, you know, you get your, you know, we get our emotion in. And, um, but the other night I was upset about something. I, I got emotional. I got like the most emotional I've been in a while. Like I was angry and I wanted to yell. I wanted to purge. I was, I was, I was getting, um, I, I was, I felt discomfort with my body in a way that I hadn't before because I hadn't felt that kind of a level of emotion following this level of stasis. I hadn't had, there's no other time in my life. And it was, it was a weird feeling. I got over it, but I noticed it. So when you said that, I thought of that the other night and my instinct was like, I wanted to scream and I don't really normally, I know people do that. They go into the forest and they fucking scream or whatever. Like, things like that but but like i've never done that for therapy but i kind of wanted to the other night 
And I think it was because we've been in this moment of stasis. Yeah. So how has all of that construction gone into create safe, which is the current? Um, well, it actually kind of manifests itself in some like, um, there's some stuff on our website, um, that like, uh, talks about, um, like how to collaborate with artists. So I, you know, I began, you know, using some of that kind of like learning and being like, all right, how, how can, how can I apply this to working with artists? Because artists essentially have the biggest voices uh, in the world um, and their music is, is, is a healing uh, modality essentially you know, uh, to all, so song, all these songs and, you know, uh, sounds are very, very healing. And so it's like, well, if I can utilize this practice to, uh, give artists their own personal space to develop, um, their own practice, then they can be internally successful. Um, and then how does that look when you're working with other people. Um, and so I've taught that actually that as a class at Stanford the past three years um, at this co- uh, course called uh, the Stanford Leadership Initiative. Amazing. Um, it, it was in collaboration with Warner Music Group for a while, but not anymore. Um, but um, so yeah. Um, and so I figured out different ways to do like workshop style. Um, uh, classes where people like interact with working with one another. Um, you know, my, I was fortunate enough and blessed enough to go to college and, um, and then study, uh, business and with a, with a concentration in management information systems. And so, uh, a part of that was always like group work because I also went to a school that had co-op. So we were like um, consistently like going through the process of like work, working, being in a work environment and also, uh, you know, working amongst teams in class. And so I feel like that's a key component to working in, with artists and like really understanding like what that, the, 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 the science of that is. Um, and so, uh, I try to do these workshops where we kind of do some like scientific work shopping. Um, it's been really fun doing that. And then, um, our ability of like my ability to give those type of workshops has come from like the product development that we've been doing. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, um, we are at the precipice as a company of rolling out a product called Trinity, which is um, essentially um, like a virtual music manager. Let's call it that, but with the purpose of like, just providing like the basic level up that like someone who's just getting started, 
needs in order to like make sure that their like their business is running properly as they navigate the industry um and um so i think because of the covid pandemic that we've been dealing with and now also this we've you know we've had to like figure out how, what ways in which we could like rapidly pivot like how we were doing things so we could meet the needs of like like what are people going to, through today right. that could be immediately helpful um and so we're just you know kind of working through the the bugs and the kinks of what that 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 experience is like and so really stoked about that um i think that can scale even more today we've talked about this a couple times over the last you know as you've developed it i think especially given more recent developments that this kind of service can scale because I think that people are going to be more and more self-reliant and more and more moving horizontally. You know, this is stuff that, that, that we've talked about developing their businesses, community, their, their squad, their tribe. And I think that people are going to want to be at the controls a lot. And it's been a challenge for the last chapter of the music industry, you know, artists having management because the manager has been in a weird spot where like in one way it's an amazing time to be a manager. Cause you can have all these, you can have a percentage of all these big things. But uh, if you're not one of those types of managers who has one of those kinds of acts, it's very tricky to invest your time in a developing artist. And so a lot of developing artists just, you know, have been want for a manager. So I think that you can get in at that level with this and I think that people are going to find that they're going to want to develop their own teams a lot and work with not, not the, you know, momager and friend, friendager idea, but just like your own squad, your own team. And a lot of that kind of making sure your business is right, rather than just handing it off to someone at some big company in LA, like just actually being on top of it. And if you can provide them the tools and the rec, the, 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 uh, you know, the checks and balances, just to make sure, I think they'll be down to like do it by hand. And so I, I, I think that your tools can, can grow more today than even before. Totally, totally. Um, so yeah, we're, we're just kind of pushing forward. Um, you know, um, Who do you see as the archetypes that like you are thinking about right now and how has that shifted? as an art for artists? I mean, like, it's someone who's just signed up to SoundCloud and Splice mm. um, and either uses Free Loops or Ableton. And they essentially are like, yo, I, someone picked up my song, it's on TikTok. Mm -hmm. And like, how do I get royalties? Yeah, I mean, just all right. What do I do next? What are, What are the next steps? Like, and some of those next steps are sometimes just like, why don't you just sign up for a Sound Exchange account? Why don't you just sign up for you know ASCAP account? Um, you know, because uh, you're gonna get royalties if you distribute like through SoundCloud or DistroKid or something like that or TuneCore. You know, like those those are the people. Like, they're they're getting royalties. They're making money. 
Um, and they, they, like you said, they're ready, they're willing to, to, to do some of the work as long as the tools are available. Um, and, and, and there's a big gap between those people and someone who's ready to, to take an advance from a record label, um, that then they're going to make a certain like quality product and that's going to have like certain marketing and advertising and commitments, like, you know, going to radio shows, doing radio, you know, uh, live shows, like doing press, like, you know, like when you sign up with a major record company, it's not about like you losing creative control, but there is a, there's a process that exists to, uh, give you an opportunity to like have the widest audience. That's that process that has existed. That's what people are being like, Hey, here's this money. This is what we want to give it to you for. Uh, when you can do it. My thing is when you can do a deal that is equitable at that point in time, you still yeah. have to be, you know, down to like complete that deal. You know, like that's what a deal is. Like, it's like a, there's a term um, and there's a certain commitment and I'll, I won't talk about the, you know, right now, like the, the, the contracts that exist that maybe like confuse people, like those got to be done away with. Um, I mean, that's what I was talking about today. You know, I know, I know you're much cooler head than me, but that was some of the stuff I was saying today. Like there were a lot of artists complaining about that today. And um, yeah, I mean, that's something that people could do. There's a missing knowledge. There's a, there's a huge knowledge gap there that, um, like, what is the business model of a record label? Um, and there are books that outline, like, the, here is the business model of the record label. This is how a record label makes money, right? Those books actually exist. Um, and well, Hey, uh, we're, we're, we're on this. Will you reference them? Do you know off the top of your head? Yeah. Um, Cause like, let's tell people to read them. I'll put it in the description too. All right. The book is called like the Donald uh, Passman one is an obvious one, but like what, what yeah. else do you have on your mind? Oh, uh, it's on my Instagram. Oh, okay. We can all, we, we can do it. We can do it after. Don't worry. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm, but um, yeah. So like um, they, these books, tell you how to running like this is how you want to set up a publishing company like it's called it's called the anatomy of a record company how to survive the record business by dr logan h westbrooks and dr lance a williams this includes the complete harvard report which was a report that harvard had done uh back in the 60s i believe um or 70s i gotta look so harvard business school did this report on heart on 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 the music industry and what Columbia needed to do to dominate soul, you know, soul music. Um, and they, now it's like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like, if in the business, the people who are the, the, the artist representation, right. They actually sort of should have a fiduciary responsibility to like, understand some of these things that we're talking about, which is like, so absolutely. There is a business model. There's a business model that the record labels do that the managers should be well aware of that to be able to inform the artists and the lawyers should also be the artists exactly what they're entering into. Right. So like, so that at the end of the day, the artist goes, okay, I realize that 
I am no longer owning my master because I'm selling it for a specific price. At this point in time, I'm selling it for this amount. And that is similar to selling up an, an, a physical artwork. Now, uh, what people would say is like, well, there's these royalties that are associated with, but that's only if you know that going into it, right? If you knew that going into it, that like, hey, I'm gonna sell you my master for $10 million, then it might be a good deal. What if that one master is worth $10 million over the next 10 years and you kind of know today. that? Yeah. <laughs> and you get it today. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, Yo, I know I'm going to make more. I'm not going to sell you all the rights to my masters, but I'll sell you them one by one. Oh yeah. That was like, like you and I had a conversation last year about a publishing deal that I didn't realize. And you explained it to me and I didn't realize I like, I heard the number and I was like, that's it. And, and you explained to me, no, no, no future. And I was like, Oh, okay. So we're talking about like the sinks that this movie gets, you know, he's already made hundreds of millions of dollars on this thing. And now he gets a, a check for the future earnings. And yeah, so, you know. So, or she could be, come on, there's, 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 there's women artists. No, um, no, no, I was talking about a specific one. No, no, that, that wasn't. <laughs> um, you and I so, literally had a conversation about, about a publishing deal. Um, but, so, yeah, I think that like if people, if people were to really like, just know those things that like i think there are a lot of artists who actually get that and understand that they just want to be told that completely up front and then and then it's like ah you knew it completely up front and it's like ah, okay cool let's get this money some people so know what their do you business. think about when all these all these artists generally artists who are well recouped and you know doing doing a lot of ancillary income say you know keep your masters own your masters how do you feel when when they're saying that when they're telling young artists about that um i think that like those artists they have a reason for saying that and i think that people have to start understanding why these artists are saying that like i don't i don't know like i know i've gone through the period of time in my career when i was just like oh, you know, it's all about being an independent artist and mm. all about owning your masters. And it's like, actually, it's about the deal that you want to do. Sure. So, like, that's why I'm like, you know, if some of these people got confused, if some of these people got tricked, I get that because that, that happens. And I think that, like, that's why one of the things that I think is really important are to create tools that help people skill up right now where they can be like, oh, okay, I'm skilled up. I know what I'm doing. Now we're just talking about deal negotiations here. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're not talking about like someone, you know, getting over on someone. Yeah. What I think that people get lost in is that we've created the, there's this narrative out there that it's like, if you get like anyone who, sells their master is getting their master stolen from them. It's not like that. There's a trade-off and there's artists that go out there and say, keep your masters and tell young artists that, but these are artists who, and this is not everyone. There's yes, there, there's also the confusion narrative, but there's a bunch of artists who made a well-informed decision 
to take advances, massive advances to fund the advancement of their artistic career and their, you know, brand branding of their, you know, their, their person companies in exchange, you know, they, they, they licensed or sold their masters for a lot of money over decades and they are where they are. You know who they are because they got to pay gigantic, you know, now we can get, we can actually bridge this to like your, you know, nucleus of the producer. Like there's mega artists out there that say, keep your masters who like, they would never be able to have afforded to work with some of the producers that you have, that you manage now without the major label advance, without the recording fund. And then they say, you know, keep your masters. They're going to steal it from you. But like the song literally wouldn't exist without the support that got them there and they they knew what they were doing and you know sometimes they collude this narrative and yeah i think that's yeah, very I important is education very, yeah i just think that the bigger the reason why that all that gets very dicey and is is it because it goes back to what we've been talking about which is like um essentially the disenfranchisement of a you know uh nation of people yes uh slaves so like essentially yeah, a larger narrative there yeah like it's like people are going hey we're just trying to have like a fair one uh -huh. um and like let's just all be on the same like uh starting point of the race um and and then you know no cheat codes let's just do this like as people and i think what happens is someone goes Oh no, we're gonna throw a cheat code in there. So a cheat code is like some of the deals that people have been have been uh, forcibly or uh, mistakenly uh, uh, entered into contract agreements with, um, and did not really understand what what was going on um, because that was abstracted from 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 their view. You know, um, so I think that that is 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 is. It's a, it's a very complex situation that really is going to take empathy and patience um, and, 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 and true justice. Um, and I think that like the more people, um, the more that there are education, educational tools um, available to people um, that like, I think um, stoke the inspiration of, of the intended parties. Cause I think a lot of times we, you know, got to make sure that like um, the, the intent, you know, people are able to like fully embrace a technology or an idea or educate or, 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 or level of education. Cause not everybody is up for that challenge. Some people want to paint, some people want to be mathematicians. And so, you know, as we, as we find ways to push people towards their passions, um, we also, you know, give them the tools to build their businesses. And that's what, you know, I'm very focused on doing. So the other main tool or, or I don't know main, but what a tool is, is your nucleus of producers that I, I remember you talked to me about, about your kind of thesis of how all the good sounds, the whole movements in the culture come from producers and you have a, yeah. Thesis, um, you know, like um, I just I think from a from a 
in my career, I've focused on work is working with producers because I do feel like music production is at the, 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 the forefront of where most of the innovation in music comes from. Um, and like, I look at production and songwriting, they go hand in hand. I think that they're like, um, like that, the process around that, um, especially what I guess we would look at as like modern day production, um, I think is, is like w when, when done in a really, uh, like focused and, and like, uh, uh, purposeful way yields like really excellent results. Um, you know, I think that like the Lady Gaga album that just came out that we were in, you know, involved with producing like, you know, Blood Pop being the executive producer who I manage, um, he, you know, really stepped into that role and uh, did it on like all levels of being a producer, whether it was, you know, making the tracks, you know, sitting there on in, in Ableton and coming up with, you know, the, you know, early songwriting or production and then bringing in people who uh, could like bring certain elements that would like enhance what him and Gaga had been creating. Right. Um, is, 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 li is literally how like some of the best records have been made um, in music period. Like, um, you know, it was just slightly different before it was maybe a band with a producer and now it's more like a, you know, a number of producers with a, a with a number of producers. I mean, it's you know, a Nile Rogers baseline versus a Chami baseline. Um, right. Or I not? It's, I don't know if that's the same. I, like it's okay. to a certain, Cause I, I, I listen to I the music and I hear Chami bass lines and I'm like, Oh, maybe he came in and like provided his, you know, signature to lift this part of it. And that, I mean, I don't know. No, that's not. No, I, mean, I, I, think, I think everybody who is involved in, in making that record, what their involvement is the, is the, is the record, right? It's like the collective. It's not like, it's, it's, it's not so specifically like in what makes a it's record. It's not like you're having that. one guy come in who's really good at a specific thing and then pairing that with another person with another specific thing. You're more just putting them in the room yeah. together to come up with ideas. Yeah, I think it's a lot more fluid cool. nowadays um, because it's, it's remember, like, yeah, it's like you had a drummer come, like, you, like, I feel like, you know, J.R. Robinson did the Daft Punk record and the Michael Jackson record. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't have to have a drummer come into the way certain people make music right now. Like you don't mm -hmm. necessarily do that, but it's cool and it could work sometimes. I think it's just around like, it, you know, I'm sure that there are projects that can benefit right now from it being like, oh, there's an actual drummer and then everybody else is this, you know, or that. It's like, I think it's about like finding those really cool teams, like what you were talking about earlier. Like, you know, teams are what makes this music industry go round. Like it's relationships. Yes. Um, and so it's about a collective group of people working together to make something that's really awesome. Um, there, and there, there are some singular entities that do that as well. And they do something that's equally as awesome. And I just think it's about like, 
uh, how that continues to flourish or be developed upon because, you know, the music industry got like, the reality is like technology disrupted the music industry in, in like people just only look at it like, Oh, Napster and file sharing destroyed the music industry. Uh, it was also, um, uh, DAWs, like things like that, which like it, it, it took away, it, it actually diverted the music making ability to something more digital. Right. And so now you have that disruption. So it's not that it destroyed it, but it disrupted it just as equally. And now you have to like figure out the new way, right? Like there, that was a way like making, making records with bands and, and live singers uh, was a way of doing things that there was a, like there was an actual business system in place, right. like a production management system that was in place that supported that. That's where like, that's yeah, why I a like production company, a recording studio. <laughs> these were like different 15 years it, ago. Yeah. And, and they have, they each have business models and they're working together mm -hmm. as different, like unified business models. And then it's like why the hit factory was famous, you know, electric Ladyland. like they still are amazing places, but in a different way than they were in the past. Exactly. So like now you have this situation where what is that? Like, I like, how do you name the modern day production system? Like, right. I think <laughs> look at a hit record, go backwards and you know, cool. And each one is different. It's crazy. You know, like your record, uh, as you're, as you're describing it, you know, I'm expecting it to be like one thing and you're telling me it's a totally different thing and like, yeah, okay. And there's another record that's made in the, you know, piecemeal kind of way, the, you know, major label, more major label kind of vibe. Um, it's, I think every that single happened. one. Yeah, yeah, of course they Frankenstein it, you know, like, but man, I don't think there is, you know, a, a typical today. I think we have to be, that's why I think your ideas for providing these these providing services that can that can iterate and change and and work for each artist as well as encouraging making the nucleus of you know the collaboration the tribe making that and and whatever that looks like you know making that the priority I think that is you know, just a framework to move forward with because you can't just like lean into a vertical. You, can, you just can't do that. It won't work. Yeah. There's no vertical, I don't think, you know, for a record label even. Like you can't really just be like, okay, cool. We're going to rely on streaming royalties. Like can't do that. Yeah, you can't. Even if you're Universal Republic because look what just happened with Joe Rogan. I don't want to go on that thread, but like, <laughs> you know, that's going to... That, um, but this was good. Um, you know, let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, man, we, we, we got to do the, uh, the Grimes talk cause we didn't even get into it. So that's a whole nother, but man, I appreciate you and your level headedness, keeping me in check and your vision and your, your coherence, your, your bringing people together. I appreciate what you do with dance music. I appreciate lifting DJs and producers in a genre very special to me into places that they don't get to otherwise. And I think that the future's bright there. And I'm excited to see where you take it and where it all goes. And always love chatting. Yeah.
Uh, you too, brother. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Um, and uh, excited to come back again and chat. Um, appreciate all the positive vibes that you're putting out there, brother. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> well, Lots of love, man. Cool. I appreciate uh, you so much. All right, man. Stay safe. Have a great night. Thank you again.